Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Selective Hearing. I am your host, Julie DeMar. This week, I would like to talk about grief with everyone. Yeah, that's what I want to talk about. I would like to talk about grief and things surrounding grief that we actually do not think about. And I have a very beautiful guest with me this week. This week, I have... Mrs. Paige Park, and we are going to discuss so many things that most would consider to be taboo. But you know me, I like to talk about things so that we can normalize adapting new mindsets and adjusting the way that we do certain things so that we can employ the skills of compassion and empathy with one another. So before I get started with all of my questions and all of that jazz, <laughs> Paige, I want to give you the floor and allow you to introduce yourself to the audience as well and tell everyone how you got here. Hello, Julie and audience. I'm so glad to be here and in this space and having this conversation. Um, my grief journey started about 10 years ago um, when my divorce was final. Actually, it kind of started when my ex-husband and I separated. And then five months after my divorce was final, my mother was diagnosed with a glioblastoma multiform. It's a kind of brain tumor that has like fingers that stick into the brain tissue. Um, she passed away nine months later, several years prior to my mom's passing. I think it was shortly after my dad retired and I don't exactly remember what year that was. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And so mom was dad's caregiver. And then mom had the brain tumor and couldn't care give. And so my brothers and I took over caregiving for both parents. My dad had Parkinson's and he passed away two years after my mother. And then my oldest brother passed away two years after my dad. So in the six year time span, it was like a divorce, death, death, death. There was a lot of caregiving. There was a lot of taking care of the estate and there was a lot of just stuff to deal with and grief would bubble up and I would be like, I don't have time for you. And I would slam it back down to the point where my nervous system was a hot mess. At that time, yoga came back into my life after years and years of weaving in and out. And I found these beautiful, amazing tools to use to help regulate my nervous system, to help me process and express my grief. And that's what I do is I help others process and express their grief through tools of yoga. That was the quick version. That. <laughs> so what a lot of you don't know is I conduct pre-interviews and during my pre-interviews I ask the guests a series of questions to see how what they do fits in with what I do at the show so we can put together something that could hopefully add value to your life when Paige and I were talking and she brought this up like I swear like you know that price is right wheel <laughs> like so many things went off like just like that because I was like oh my gosh like I didn't even think of it as like I've been through you know grief losing people is unfortunately that part of life that really really sucks it does I didn't think about the washing machine that all of us are in when we hit that season in life and all the things that we say or don't say or like all of the the ways that we approach each other when we're here. So before we get into what it is that you do to help others, I kind of want to continue down this journey of when you were in the space and in the season of loss, how people handled you and how that made you feel and how you responded to that. There's these uncomfortable yet familiar things that all of us do when we are not only grieving, but when we are the person that is trying to, I guess, um, console the person dealing with right. grief. 
that we don't even realize are not really that comforting. No, they're not comforting <laughs> at all. My mom was my best friend. Like she and I were, were so close. And if I had a dime, penny, whatever, coin for every time I heard, she's in a better place. Like, but she's not here. Like, she's not here. She's not with me. She's not, it, that's not, that doesn't, that didn't console me at all. It was like, yeah, and I, I didn't say that to people. I just let them say the things that they wanted to say. But they're in a better place. It's not the most consoling statement. And so many people, oh, but they're at peace now. Well, she's not with me. Like, I can't come home from school or work or a date or whatever and go, oh my gosh, mom, you'll not believe. Like, I still talk to her, but not, like, face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. um, and so she may not be suffering anymore, and she was suffering when she was here, and I know I know that. But also, like, she's not here. I can't talk to her. She's not, she's not present with me in a physical form. And, and I, just one of the things that I try and do if somebody tells me, about, oh, I'm so sorry, that sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's just call it what it is. It's a duck. Let's call it a duck. It's awful. It's horrible. I'm so sorry that you lost your person. That's the worst thing ever. How can I support you? What can I do for you? Those are better things to say. Quite ask. Ask what they get, what they need. What do you need? Do you need to talk or do you need me to leave you alone? Do you want me to come pull you out of your house and take you places? Like, what do you need? Or do you just need me to come and cook dinner with you and sit with you and hold you and love on you? Like Pooh did with Eeyore. I love right. that example. And I've seen that meme so many times since I started talking about grief more. Like Eeyore's, you know, Mr. Depression and he's upset. And what do they do? They don't tell him it's going to be okay. They just love on him. We have gotten to this practice, and I don't know where it started. It's just handed down poorly from generation to generation in every single family of when somebody loses somebody, trying to respond. Not like, oh my gosh, like they're in a better place or even people that lose their spouses. Well, you're still young enough to find someone else. Or like, what did you just say? Like, no, you didn't say that. And I know the intent behind it is not bad. And no. it's like, you mean well, but if you really stop, like I'm like, write down a list. Like, yeah, listen to this, everyone. Write down a list of everything that you've ever said to someone who is experiencing loss or who experienced loss. Say it out loud to yourself and then afterwards ask yourself, was that really nice? Was that really helpful? But like we've been kind of, like I said, conditioned to just spout out all these different things to people. And then the person who's receiving it, we've been conditioned to like just let people say it and not like correct mm -hmm. them because the intentions behind it, are, like I said, are good. They're, oh, yeah. They, they, they mean to support. And I think part of it is people are uncomfortable with expression of emotion. And I don't know where in a society we have that. So I, last year I sold my house and I downsized to like, I don't know, I don't know how many square feet this is. It's like four or 500 square feet. It's not very big. So I went from the 1600 square foot house with a full basement to like 500 square feet. This place is tiny. And to do that, I had to get rid of, I had to sell so many things. I got rid of like a bunch of stuff that was my mom's. Um, and there was that attachment. Now I kept things too. Like I very intentionally, everything that came with me was very intentional in the coming with me. Um, but there was this huge process of like letting go and not feeling like I had to be just like the carrier of the things that mom and dad left behind. And it became this huge purging process. And like I sold some stuff that was 
this this cabinet that was my mom's and I cried when I sold it because I was like letting all of this go and I came to closing and my realtor it was hilarious I was super emotional I torn down a yoga studio in my basement I torn down my yoga studio that day and all of these other things and I'm tired from moving because I'd spent the last three days like moving everything and taking what didn't sell to charity because I, I wasn't renting a storage unit I wasn't going to do that I was getting rid of it and I came to closing and I told my realtor I was like I'm a, I'm a wreck just don't mess with me today I'm a mess and he kept going are you sure you're okay are you sure you want to close are you sure you want to I'm like just let me be with my feelings <laughs> and at one point in this process he goes oh wait a minute we just don't allow people to feel, do we? He's like, he recognized himself that it was super uncomfortable for me to be going through this while he was sitting there just watching me. And that's how I think we are with grief. Like there's so much feeling and there's so much emotion that we're just uncomfortable with the expression of that. Yeah, I, and, and yeah, on both ends, like the receiving end and the, because mm -hmm. it's like, if you really put yourself in that situation, when you're standing in front of someone and you allow yourself to process what you're feeling and what the other person is feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that can be like a pretty like muddy place to be in, but what people should understand is it's okay to be in that place. It's okay to be in that place and actually allowing yourself to experience what's happening in that place is what helps you build those skills of being more empathetic. Yeah, and we're able to teach the next generation. We can teach our kids mm -hmm. so they can be better and do better. My, I kick my two-year-old out every Monday when I have these recordings, and he literally just walked out of the house and said, Ma, have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, right before I hit Zoom with you, Ma, and his itty-bitty voice, have a good day. Oh. And it made me feel good because I was like, I'm, I'm heavy on the, we can just live in our feelings, mm -hmm. and then we can work through our feelings. Like, just seeing like how it how he responds to it and how it works like my kids definitely won't know like these kind of uncomfortable things that we have bestowed on us they won't know about it yeah. like they'll hear about it It'd be like an urban legend but they definitely won't like know <laughs> the, about it the urban legend of you are not <laughs> able to express your emotions no you are not allowed to have feelings no so there's this there's these stages that i kind of wanted to address today like okay because people seem to think until they go through it themselves that mm -hmm. when we know someone's ill and they're going to pass away, that that makes it easier. Because I was able to brace for impact. And, you know, you were able to brace for impact or you knew or there was this amount of time. And because you have experience with knowing, like, there was a yeah. diagnosis and then there was a journey, you know, through that process until, you know, you lost your best friend. Can you kind of explain that process from notification of illness through watching a person fight to losing their life and then going into that process of the funeral and then the, the after. Well, and, and the interesting thing was when, when we went through that process with my mom, like my dad was also having problems. So I have a really interesting perspective on that. So anticipatory grief is that you have a diagnosis, you know that, or someone's not doing so well and you know that the end is coming, right? Anticipatory grief sucks as much or as bad as just the person passed away. 
just for your information. <laughs> like, it's not a pretty, it's not a pretty picture. Yes, you know it's coming, but you don't know when. We had my mom went through radiation and a week after her last radiation treatment, she ended up in the hospital and was, is that the one where she was having visions? I don't know. They're kind of all blurring together at this point because it's been long enough. There was one where she's like seeing things. I think that was the one after the chemo appointment. She's in the hospital for two weeks. And in the middle of this, my dad falls, wraps himself around a chair, breaks multiple ribs, and he's on another floor in the same hospital. So mom on one floor, dad on another. Um, then dad almost dies. Um, yeah, it was intense. And it, and it was interesting because my brother, like mom ends up in the hospital, right? And my oldest brother was drama. He was very drama, boy drama dude, drama king. And he's like, oh, she's dying. And nobody said anything about how, like whether or not she was dying yet. She wasn't, she had several more months to go. She didn't die until July. Um, and that was January, I think. Um, but every time she was in the hospital or every time something would happen, it would be like, oh my gosh, she's dying. Well, yeah, of course she is. But it felt like this, anytime anything would happen, it did. I kind of felt like that, oh my gosh, she's she's going to die. Well, yeah, she is. We just didn't know when. And, and watching someone that you love slowly fade away sucks um, big time. Because my mom went from this strong, amazing, powerful woman to being in bed with a diaper on, having to have someone and a support take her so that she could go to the bathroom, not being able to read books. My mother was a huge book worm and she loved books, not being able to read. Like that was almost, watching her not be able to read was almost worse, worse than watching her die, which was bad enough. And then you get that call on the last day from the, she was in um, nursing care. You get the call from the nursing home. Today's the day. She's so, she's, she's so showing all of these signs. And so I call all of the, all of the people and people are in and out and they're visiting and you watch them struggle to breathe. And then finally it stops. And it's probably one of the most painful things I've experienced in my life is watching my mom fade before my eyes. It was almost worse than the funeral, which was hard enough. You want to take a minute just to kind of, <laughs> I know I put it's, you in a space, so I no, want to give you a minute okay. to like breathe. Okay. That's a I'm, lot. It is. And it's intense. And I want people to know how intense it is because like that diagnosis and that journey, it, it can be, it's a lot. It's not just the death. Like it's everything that leads up to the death. That's why I, I know that was a hard question and no, something very hard okay. to like, but no, that's kind of why so I put it there. It. Because I don't think people really, it, it was mainly because of that one thing, like they're in a better place and they're, you know, or they're not suffering anymore. And it's like, yeah, I know. But it's like, do you understand like what it took to get here? And like, that might not have been, like now you guys all listening have great perspective today. Like that might not be a good choice of words. What's interesting is oftentimes the people who said that actually knew of the journey there. They were the ones, some of the ones who were by mom's bedside on her last day, which I found very interesting. And then the other ones, it was just the flippant. I want to help you feel better because I know you probably feel like everything sucks right now. And 
So I'm going to say that for that reason. And it's, some, I want to help you feel better, but it's like, no, just let me feel just this. Just let me feel. Yeah. Yeah. Let me feel. Let me feel and let me go through the process that, mm -hmm. you know, of feeling. Um, because sometimes. the more we go through the process of feeling the anything, it could be the good, it could be the bad. What we label as bad is not bad. It's just, it just sucks. It sucks to be in that space of, I feel horrible right now. It feels dark and depressing and awful. But the more we lean into those feelings, the easier it is to hold them. And grief is one of those things. I mean, like I said, my mom passed away almost nine years ago. It'll be nine years ago this summer. Um, actually, this is really appropriate. Her uh, birthday would have been yesterday. Her 80-something, I think 86. I can't remember exactly. Um, birthday. Yeah, her birthday was yesterday. Um, but it, it's been a while, but I, you saw me just tear up. It's still there. The grief hasn't changed. I have. I'm able to hold it. I'm able to express it. I'm able to be with it, and I've grown around it and encompassed it. That's it that's very beautiful even though it comes from something that's very painful that's very beautiful at the same time so after you lose your mom then you have to go through this process of planning a funeral and having a funeral and then all of the awkwardness that comes along with the funeral so awful. like that line <laughs> And then I'm at that age, my friend's parents are dying too. So not only am I, you know, planning, oh gosh, the line. We, my brothers and I were very intentional. We hate funeral lines. They're awful. And so we very intentionally placed ourselves in different spots of the room so that there wouldn't be a line. We're very intentional because my brothers and I all hate that. We think it's ridiculous. When all of this happened, and I can't remember if it was between my mom and my dad's death or after my dad, shortly after my dad, like it was in that time period. I had several friends who lost parents as well. And I remember this one coworker, her dad passed away and um, I wanted to go and pay my respects, but I was standing in this funeral line for like 45 minutes, freaking out, freaking out. Cause I had just gone through this with my parents. Thankfully it was a different funeral home, but I had just gone through this with my parents. And I'm standing in the line and I'm twitching and I'm getting awkward and I'm getting uncomfortable. And you know, you don't know what, what other people's experiences are and what they've been through. Standing in that line was so traumatizing to me. I finally hopped it, hugged my friend and left. After waiting for like 45 minutes, I found like a little entry. And people were mad at me because I hopped the line and I didn't say hi, give my condolences to everybody. I didn't know anybody else. I just knew my friend. She was the only reason I was there. So like those lines create awkwardness also for people who may have experienced loss recently and are, are just going to pay their respects for one person. You know what I just thought of when you were saying that people got upset with you? I was thinking about all the emotions that everyone, like you just described something that I'm sure a lot of people feel standing in that line. Mm -hmm. Like once we're like in these very, very vulnerable states or these really uncomfortable situations, like unless you've like this isn't this isn't me coming for anybody, but it's just like unless you've been through some sort of like um, pattern changing programs where it's like, oh, I've been to coaching or oh, I've embraced this or oh, I do a lot of reading or I, you know, therapy, whatever the case may be, whatever works for you. Um, the majority of us 
operate within where we've been conditioned. So that anger was probably just pure projection of all the anxiety and crap that they were feeling standing there too. And because they couldn't take a step back and just breathe and be like, oh, she's, I probably feel just like that. You know, I feel the same way, girl. High five, like get out of here. Like I wish I could too. I stopped going to funerals actually Mm -hmm. Um, after my grandmother passed away and she passed away during COVID. So it wasn't even really a funeral. Like Mm -hmm. the line, the, the COVID funerals were like, that line on steroids. It's like that line at your favorite amusement park where you're just standing there and standing there and standing there because they only let so many people in a funeral home at a time because of all the restrictions. And then like, it wasn't like a service, like you can come in and then go out. It was like drive-through services. It was terrible. It was terrible. And that line at my grandma's funeral was like, you go in, people were coming out, and then some people were lingering because like, like this was, again, like, we're not used to this. This isn't how it's supposed yeah. to go. I sat in my car. I literally, like, I couldn't take it no more. I went and I just sat in my car and I rolled the windows down and I just sat there until we went to the cemetery. I just, I had to leave. I could not. The anxiety and the frustration and the feelings and the confusion and just everything that I was going through, I was like, this is like... This is very triggering, not good for me. I got to get out of here. And that's exactly what I did. And there were people like just walking past my car and not knowing what to say or saying the wrong things. And I was just like, there was a time where I remember like holding on to my steering wheel. Mm -hmm. Just like, that was like that grounding point for me. Yeah. I was just like, this has got to be over soon. This is way too much, way too much. Again, like had the ability to process like everyone else in there is going through something just as crazy as me. They're just not (laughs) able to like communicate it with themselves or maybe they are the way that I am where I'm like, this is a problem. Get out of here. You know, like retreat, regroup. Like that is, that's something. And after that, I was like, I can't do funerals ever again. Like I even told my husband, I was like, really? Like, especially if we're old, like you don't even got to do that for me. I always like do the toss me in a box joke. Like just toss me in a box and like go. Like, don't even worry about it. Like I'm like, I, I told my I told my stepdaughter after all of this, I said, I want a party. I want you to throw the biggest party that you've ever thrown. And I want you to celebrate life and living because I'm not here to do that with you. I don't want a funeral. They I've I've learned recently within the last year, they have a thing where you can um make your body into dirt like it could they they have a way of like decomposing your body in a way that you become dirt and then plant you with a tree i'm like i want that i want to be dirt plant me plant me in a garden plant me in a tree with a tree i don't care like whatever it is and then throw a big giant huge celebration party no funerals if, if you want to cry cry if you want to laugh laugh like however you're feeling feel if you want to be angry be angry um but yeah throw a party that's i don't want a funeral he can toss me in the back if it's legal. Like, <laughs> cool, like, I want you. That's another thing that I came to terms with, too. I was like, that person is not there. Like, I, you always hear, like, the funerals are for the living. The funerals are for the living. And, like, I'm like, well, I like to remember people. Like, whatever my last memory was of you, whatever we were doing last, whatever our last phone conversation is, like, always, like, go back and read, like, my last text messages to my grandma because she couldn't text. So it was really, like, me texting her and then her trying to respond the best she could, which it was, and my grandma was, like, young, but it was just, like, she didn't, like, just pick up the phone and call. But I was like, Grandma, I wasn't trying to disturb you, but I'll just call you. So I like to remember, like, when I would call, how she answers the phone. Like, my grandma, she had this way of, okay, so 
she would be like, hey, Julie, like that. Like every time, no matter how, no matter when I call, that's how she would say it. So I like to like think about like, dang, I missed that. Or mm-hmm. if I called her like just that, hey, Julie. And um, just that's the things so we would take about her favorite thing, you would say something that she, she'd be like, you reckon so? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, grandma, yes. Like, or... Or Those phrases and sayings. I've, I've, not my mom so much. I find myself saying my dad's, my dad's sayings. Yeah. Um, I will say them. But he would, my dad would call me. I have a, I saved a, his last couple of voice messages for me. And it would, he would call, hello, dad. This is the dad calling for the page. <laughs> dad, you're cracking me up. This is the dad calling for the page. <laughs> Okay, Dad. I love older people leaving messages. Like, hey, right? this is your mom. Like, I know. I <laughs> like, <can> tell. <laughs> yeah. But he would do that, like, even in person, too. He would be like, it's the page. <laughs> I don't know when he started it. It was some point, like, after my dad or my mom passed away, I think. Like, in that, like, two year of caregiving for him, he started calling me the page. Well, and I, I said, I've said this several times. So by day, I'm a mild disabilities special education teacher. And so I've, I've been in education for years and years and years and years. And I said, if I was a parent, I would be that parent. You know what I mean? That, that parent, the one that the school's like, oh, it's her again. So when my mom and dad were like in and out of rehab and the the hospital, not so much, like rehabilitation facilities, like multiple rehabilitation, like I was that person because I know enough about the services that they were offering Mm -hmm. because I've worked with speech, I've worked with occupational, I've worked with, yeah, and I've worked with, I've worked with um, physical therapy, like I've worked with therapists for years and years and years, and so I have an idea of what they're supposed to be doing, and I also had, like, my mom had traumatic brain injury, basically, because she had brain surgery and had, like, the stuff removed, and I'm familiar, I had a student that had traumatic brain injury years ago, and so I'm equating all of this to some degree, and I was like, I was, I was that, I was that person, I know there were some facilities that were like, oh my gosh, it's her again. Here she comes. Look. <laughs> Here she comes. Because I was. I would go into those meetings and I would be like, all right, we need to do this and we need to do that and we need to do this and da 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 And they're like, oh. And I would call them out on the stuff. It's good to, like, have that family member, though, like, that yeah. knows that way. You know for a fact that your your loved ones are getting the best care because you know what it looks like if it's not. And you right. can correct that. Yeah. Mm. Well, it was frustrating sometimes because no matter what, there was one particular facility, no matter what I said and no matter what they did, they wouldn't do what I was asking. And it just infuriated me. Well, we don't do it that way. She's got a brain. I, I wanted them to schedule her my mom's therapies and give her a schedule um, because of the brain injury. She had a hard time keeping track of the time of day. And well, we just, we don't do that. We just come get them whenever. Well, you have to have an idea on your schedule when you're gonna get which person. Like that's how this works. So put her in a time slot and work everybody else around it. Yeah, just lock in that spot. And they wouldn't, they refused. They wouldn't do it. Well, we'll write it on the calendar when we saw her. I'm like, no, that's not gonna do it. You don't understand. She needs a schedule. <laughs> oh, man. I <laughs> Okay. <laughs> to kind of switch gears just a little bit. Okay. And um, so you are a yoga instructor. Yes. 
So let's talk about that and let's talk about what kind of, um, what your focuses are as a yoga instructor, uh, instructor, as a yoga instructor. And um, I kind of would like you to, well, not kind of, I want you to discuss how like your grief kind of contributed to you, like reshaping your mindset and to your yoga. Okay. Um, so I teach something called Hatha yoga and Hatha is balancing. It's the balancing of the nervous system. It's the balancing of the solar and the lunar, the balancing of the right and the left. Um, however you want to look at it, balancing the yin and the yang, if that resonates with you balancing the masculine and the feminine if that resonates with you like whatever of those terms you can connect with um and so through hatha yoga it's a balancing of the nervous system so we bring the nervous system back into this state of normal whatever that happens to be um <laughs> not being dysregulated so we bring it back into regulation we bring it back into like where can kind of give an example so i started all of this in about a year actually it was probably about a year and a half two years after starting this i was rear-ended on the way to school and um it was during finals which is always a horrible time and it was interesting no i rear-ended somebody i didn't get rear-ended i rear-ended somebody and my system was calm enough that that didn't disrupt my day I was able to exchange information with the person that I hit, and then we went on. There was no damage, um, but once the sun came up more, if there was damage, they were going to give me a call. So we exchanged information, and we both went on our way. Like in my past life, that would have destroyed my day. It would have been completely ruined because of that one incident, um, first thing in the morning, basically. You learn how I, I teach tools and different things that you can use and take into everyday life to help you when something starts to get you frustrated, to pull you back down and, and, and take it on from a place of calm and collectedness instead of anxiety. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, we- I- there were like I, three questions in there and I can't that, yeah, I I should that have, one and I don't remember the other two. You did, okay, so um, you explained what type of uh, yoga practices that you teach. And then I asked, how did your grief kind of contribute to you? How did my you grief a- contribute to me doing mm-hmm. that? Okay, I, I think I indicated a couple of years after my dad passed away, the school corporation that I worked for, um, I, was, I was a mess. I had high blood pressure. Um, I was struggling to regulate. I was constantly in a state of fight or flight basically. And it was all of the time because my phone had been on 24 seven. I had had multiple calls in the middle of the night, especially regarding my dad. Um, so three years I was on call 24 seven and I was in this state of, I'm still on call. In fact, I remember the time where I shut my phone off at night to go to sleep. And, and it was that relief that, Oh wow, I don't have to be on anymore. So my school corporation offered, I'd been talking to um, a friend of mine and she's like, hey, you should probably, you should try yoga again. And I was like, ooh, that's a really good idea. I should try yoga again. So my school corporation was offering yoga classes at a discount at this local studio. And I went and took a series and I was hooked. That was the start of this particular journey. It was the start of coming back to myself and finding my voice again because I didn't realize I'd lost it and caring for my parents. It was that coming back to balance, 
within myself as well. Being able to handle any sort of triggers or anything that came my way. So as a result of that, I decided to do yoga teacher training and I wanted to teach this to my students because I was seeing with COVID and other things, I was seeing this rise of depression and anxiety in students in school. Um, I teach high school. And so I wanted, I, I wanted to bring it to that. A friend of mine, after I'd been teaching yoga for about a year, year, year and a half, she said, hey Paige, you should teach grief yoga because she was seeing the benefit that I had gotten out of it. And she was seeing people in her family losing others and needing help and support. And I went, no. Well, I've learned over years of self-discovery that when I have that violent of a reaction, I need to stop and pause and actually see what's there. And I went, oh crap, I need to teach grief yoga. <laughs> <laughs> and it started about a little over a year ago. Um, I, it started as a six week experiment. Let's see what happens. Let's do six weeks of a class and see what happens. I now offer three classes a week. I have a virtual class and I have two classes in the in-person classes in the Indianapolis area. And it has it has grown exponentially from that space of, hey, let's just experiment and see what happens. And it's become basically the source of my business. This work is so powerful and I just can't even begin to describe the the changes that happen in my clients when they come to me and I'm a guide like I just give you tools I lead you through class I give space for the emotion I had a client one day and she experienced a lot of grief in her life but on her way to class saw a dog get hit by a car and came in just all rattled and so we worked in that space all right let's find our breath let's ground in and let's see what we can do with that emotion let's feel it and let it go Sometimes I have clients who cry in class, that's perfectly okay, that's acceptable. We don't mock, we don't make fun, we don't tell them they're in a better place. <laughs> yeah. I know that sucks, I feel it. Yeah. <laughs> um, we experience the emotion um, that comes up. We find our inner strength and our inner power within that. That leads me to asking you, because some people will be like, and I, I have a friend that lost someone very important to her um, a couple of years ago and she went through uh, grief counseling mm -hmm. and they only offered her like I don't know like six sessions like it was yeah. very like once a week so I'm like so after six weeks how like what's she supposed to do with this you know like yeah. I was that friend that was riding with her through it all you know like Call me scream, call me cry, call me angry, you know, like whatever, like whatever you're going through, call me to come over, whatever you need to pick up the phone and like just go through. I'm here for you to go through it. So how, because a lot of people are like, oh, well, there's grief counseling and all this. How is this different than like that traditional talk therapy, grief counseling, and I'll let you. Number one, you don't have to talk. You don't have to talk. You don't have to share. Um, I had a client who she's been a pretty consistent client. I do my classes in six week series because it's pretty intense work. And we do six weeks on and then a couple weeks off and then six weeks on and then a couple weeks off. Um, and you can come to a session. You can come to six weeks. You can come. I have a client who's been with me for a year um, for not every session, but many of them. And it's really interesting that the more she does this work, I keep telling her she's going to take over for me at some point. The more she does this work, I'm like, 
you don't know this yet, but I'm grooming you to um, take over my business because I'm gonna. I, I want to travel and teach people how to do what I do. Um, okay. And I want. I still want my in-person classes going while I do that. So, I'm grooming her to <laughs> to take over. Um, so when I do my when I when I do my yoga teacher training, she's she's gonna be one of my first people. She doesn't know it yet. Mm. Well, I've told her a couple of times. So, but just to see the change in her from. Like when she started to now. Now she also, some people do it in conjunction with therapy, which can be really good. Like it's a good, it's really good to, because sometimes things come up that you might need to talk to a therapist about because I'm not a therapist. But I have another client who said that she didn't like therapy because she felt like it re-traumatized her grief and that she kept talking about it over and over and over again. And that just wasn't good. She just needed to be in a space where she felt. Um, and that's what we do. We give you that space to feel. And navigate it in your own way and you can go all year long or two years or three years yeah, or four years if you need, need to yeah. however long you however need long. it and that's really you don't have that's amazing yeah, and this and isn't there... me like because I, I bring up i ask those questions about will this compare to traditional talk therapy just to give everyone um yeah. an idea of what it is and like you can use them together or you can choose one or the other just to kind of you know yeah, educate the audience on it well, not me bashing traditional talk, everybody, because I know you no, guys are no, probably no, like... No, 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 mm -hmm. no. And, and it no. definitely has a place and a space. And like I said, I have clients that use both. They come to yoga and then they go also to talk therapy. Like, it's it's beautiful in conjunction with each other. I would love to partner with some therapists and offer grief yoga at some spaces where they also see clients for talk therapy. Like, I think that's a beautiful symbiotic relationship. But also for some people, like my one client, like talk therapy just wasn't cutting it at all for her. And it's all based on your individual needs and your grief. I feel like with the different, with different kinds of grief, like her grief was even more compact than mine. It was like close people within a year and months of each other. And, and there was a lot of, it was definitely traumatic grief. And sometimes talking about traumatic grief can really be reinstigating so you've got to be very careful with that not that the grief i experienced wasn't traumatic but it wasn't it was it's different than like loss of a child or maybe loss of a sibling who just suddenly drops dead um, dies in a car crash like something like that is way more traumatic than or can be way more traumatic than what i experienced i also had a student die in a car crash last year um, about a year ago just those just, are well yeah, that I, day and that night he was gone and that yeah it's awful and i've known the family for a long time so yeah but i was glad that i have had the experiences with grief that i have had because i could be in that space with those kids and, and i could i could hug them and let them cry and let them be angry and let them beat walls and let them be whatever it was they were going to be and not judge it I had, a, had there was a, a teacher who reported to guidance that one of my students was um, not grieving properly. There is no such thing, by the way, right. of not grieving properly. I was like, oh, what? Because she was mad. She was mad that our friend died. Perfectly legitimate emotion. Yeah. Perfectly I was, legitimate. I was kind of mad that her friend died. I just expressed it in a different way. And she was like rage crying. Yeah. We have to like take away the expectations of yeah. 
that. Like, the expectations of how someone else should feel about anything or how someone should respond to their feelings. Like, as long as they're not physically harming you or themselves, like, let them... Let them experience their emotion. Mm Mm-hmm. But again, it's that uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable with anger. We're uncomfortable with tears and sadness, mm-hmm. especially deep, dark sadness. I think that's why at funerals, like the best speakers, you know how everyone gets up to speak. The mm-hmm. best speakers for me are the comedians that like get up and read the room and see like, yeah, and they change the tone for a little while. Some of the best comedy shows I've been to, and I know this is going to sound crazy, <laughs> but some of at the best stand up comedy shows I've been to have been at a funeral. Like, and like some of the, or those cousins, like I have a group of cousins that don't, they just can't, they can't get right. And I know, like, not to sit by them at funerals, but, like, when things are getting real uncomfortable, to kind of look at them, see what they're doing, see what they're... Because they're comedians, like... And I know, like, that's their way of processing it and going through it, but, like, whatever they're doing to make me laugh can kind of help me get through that discomfort as well. But, yeah, I I appreciate, even though I'm not going to funerals anymore, I appreciate all the stand-up comedians that... (laughs) get up and they tell you a funny story but they make sure that they deliver it in a way to kind of change the room the for a little bit yeah yeah like i can't believe i didn't put that in there that just came to me when we were just talking about <laughs> it like because that is something that happens like there's always it is. there's always that there's always like just from what i've experienced the comedian the bad singers like there's just so much that goes <laughs> on <laughs> there is the person and that the reads the program that cannot read like who yeah. oh, oh my gosh like there's just so much <laughs> oh i'm so sorry many things. so many good. things so okay so i want to ask you two things before we we go today and okay. the first thing is what advice would you give to someone who is grieving and to a person who is planning on supporting or whose intentions are to support someone who's grieving and um i don't want to say proper etiquette but being more considerate of the way that you for those who are grieving oh gosh there's so many things i could say here um number one feel the feelings because if you stuff them they're gonna come back up and oftentimes it'll be not just not an emotion it'll be some sort of physical symptom for me it was high blood pressure and ask for what you need if you're grieving if you need to be left alone ask to be left alone if you want someone to come and sit with you ask find someone who can come and who's willing to come and sit with you and if you're supporting someone in grief, try and stay away from those pat answers that everybody says or those pat sayings that everybody says. If somebody says that, you know, they lost somebody, I'm sorry, that's awful. I'm sorry, that sucks. I, I, I hear you. Make them feel seen and heard. I hear that you're feeling this right now. It's a, it's a better way to, to express that. Um, and ask them what they need. What do you need? Do you need food? Because... I know we get an over an, abund- an overabundance of food when somebody passes away. Do you need someone to come and sit with you? Do you need your house clean? What what do you need? So asking that question, what can I do for you? What do you need? Do you need me to leave you alone? Do you want me to call you in three months and check on you? We forget that like we go back to life, the non-grievers. We go back to life and we go back to living shortly after. But those who were deeply impacted by this, six, nine, 12, 18, 24 years later, they're still impacted by it. And so not saying things like, you're not over that yet. Yeah. (laughs) 
Like, no, I'm not. It's, it's grief. You're never going to be over it. You're going to grow in it. And that's okay. Um, but just being careful about what you say, asking for support, recognizing where they are. And you let everyone know where they can contact you and connect with you. Absolutely. I am Tulsi, T-U-L-S-I, roseyoga.com. And I am like that. I am Tulsi Rose Yoga on all of the things. So all social media, all the things I do. If you want to test things out, I do a virtual 30-minute meditation on the second Tuesday of every month. Um, So it's free community meditation. Come join me. Get to know me a little bit. Um... You can come do that between my series, and I haven't done the next date yet. Uh, It'll be sometime at the end of April. I do a free introduction to Greek yoga class virtually as well. And then I have virtual yoga on Mondays. Um, I have in-person classes in the Indianapolis area on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Okay, everyone, and that information will also be in the episode summary, because I know people have been emailing me, so let me just remind you, (laughs) in the details regarding this episode, where there's an entire summary about what we will be discussing, there is also a connect with the guest, and underneath the connect with the guest, you will find all the information that Paige just told you, and on my website, all you got to do is click on the description tab. They're in the podcast area of my website, and you will be able to find that information there as well as my social media. So before I close today, of course, I'm going to ask my favorite question that I ask every guest. And that question is, what does selective hearing mean to you? Selective hearing means hearing the things that I need to hear and tuning out the noise and the distractions. Well, you guys heard that, and I hope that you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And I will be back next week with another very special guest. So until next week, this is Selective Hearing.